What's up, Florida State sports fans? Welcome back to another episode of the Null Sports Podcast. Kurt Weiler here with Antoine Staley, both Florida State beat writers for the Tallahassee Democrat. Uh, we didn't get an episode out last week. It's a, uh, a mix of things that went into that, not the least of which is me taking two separate trips to, uh, to and from Indianapolis for the uh, Florida State basketball team and the men's in, in the NCAA basketball tournament. So we're sorry about that, but uh, we should be starting to establish more of a, a routine. We've been pretty good about getting at least one a week out, but hopefully we can start getting even more consistent, I guess, now. But I guess, I mean, we can we can start, Antoine, looking at the uh, basketball team. Made the Sweet 16. They won the two games they were supposed to. They were a trendy pick, I would say, to uh, beat Michigan in the Sweet 16 and didn't come especially close. I mean, th- after the first couple minutes of that game, Michigan went on a run and looked like they were pretty much in control the, uh, the rest of the uh, time. Yeah, I was going to ask you. Yeah, I didn't see the first half because I was still covering baseball at the time. So, so I it, got, it oh, was 9-8 oh, Michigan, and then Michigan went on, I think, a 10-0 run and kept it at or around like that 11-point range the rest of the half and just kind of kept Florida State at arm's length. Yeah, I thought so. They had it, they had the TV on in the uh, press box at the game. So when next thing I know, yeah, it was close, and then I looked over again, and then they had a large lead, and then – that, that kind of was just the way it was the majority of the rest of the game. So, yeah, um, I know the second half, uh, it seemed like Florida, they started to hit some three-pointers, started to get a little bit more offensive rhythm going. But every time they had a, every time they answered, every time they had a basket, it seemed like Michigan answered on the offensive end. And they just pounded them in the paint. That, I mean, that was just a big difference to be. They just kept going inside and they just pounded them and pounded them. And that's something that you really don't see um, – FSU give up a ton of points in the paint like that, and that was a little bit surprising. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you you talked about. I think there was the stretch where Florida State hit back to back three pointers. I think they cut it to they got it to as low as five, and then Michigan rattled off like a quick seven zero run, and it quickly got out of hand from there. It, I mean, you could say they were in it in that moment in the second half, but they it it it, it was never a one possession game. Yeah, I mean, Michigan. Uh, credit to Michigan, they they had plenty of time to prepare for a pretty abnormal defense in Florida State's with how they switch everything with their length as I think the tallest team in the country and they looked well prepared with how much time they had I mean Florida State I would say especially with their defense and obviously with their length is a team that's far easier to prepare for on the when you're playing in the first game of an NCAA tournament weekend than the second when you only kind of have that one day turnaround and you're playing a second game two days later because yeah. this, it, it's it's something that takes some time to get used to. And Michigan had that time, and credit to Juwan Howard, who prepped a real good game plan, and they 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 combated Florida State's defense, which causes a lot of teams a lot of problems, very very well. Yeah, they executed it perfectly. Just uh, they they had a weakness, and yeah, I mean they just they pretty much exploited it. And we talk about an FSU team that's uh, one of the best three point shooting teams. Not, I mean the best in the ACC and one of the best in the country. So I mean for them to Go. I mean, just to go out the tournament in general without a three-pointer until late in the second half. I mean, that was just astonishing in itself. And and like I said, I, I think the like just them going inside and um, been able they were able to do everything they were, they were able to wanted to do offensively. And I thought, yeah, I just thought I was a little surprised by it. I, I'm not surprised Michigan won. Uh, it's probably more surprising in the manner in which they won. Uh, that was the most surprising thing to me. No doubt, I, I agree with you. I mean, it's a it was a. It was always going to be a tough task for Florida State. A lot of people made a lot out of oh, Michigan doesn't have Isaiah Livers. He's the senior leader, 
They they sure had other guys. I mean, Florida State had a depth advantage that probably wasn't as big as it would have been if you were playing the second game of a weekend in terms of stamina. Uh, I mean, it didn't help matters. And, and Leonard Hamilton, a credit to Leonard Hamilton, he has, in the last couple of years, adapted his style of play, his, his, his really his, how he runs the entire team, to go from the really slow defense, trying to win games, low-scoring games, to the run-and-gun, a much more high-powered offense that kind of tries to press and force turnovers like that. But he was pretty, uh, he is, I should say, pretty stuck in his ways about not playing players with two fouls in the first half. That If you pick up two fouls, you're done in the second half. And, and I saw multiple people tweet something to that effect because it's a pretty hard and fast rule. And there's a lot of times I agree with it. But when a player like a Raekwon Gray, who has been really your most consistent offensive option, down the entire stretch of the season, really, I would say most of like 2021 this year so far. When he, I mean, when he picks up two fouls in three minutes, you can't afford to sit him 17 minutes in that first half. I, I, I understand it's why he does it, and I understand the reasoning behind it, but it just, it was a hard pill to swallow for me in that situation because it is a different game if that's a seven or eight point game at halftime. And, and there's an, it's entirely possible Raekwon Gray or Anthony Polite, who picked up two fouls, I think only played about nine minutes, make a difference if they're out there more in that first half. Yeah, I think uh, it's more of an old school approach. Uh, I know a lot of teams used to do that back in the day. Uh, yeah, you're automatically out for the half. And yeah, I think some teams, some coaches adapted to that. Like they'll, depending on the player, um, I think they'll let them stay out there. If they have a little bit more discipline, or they may sit them for a little bit and then bring them back in later on in the first half. And, you know, hopefully they, they don't pick up that third foul because then at that point, then you have to take them out. But, yeah, I, I think I think you bring up a good point because, yeah, I mean, you know, as good as MJ Walker has been, um, he, he suffered a little bit of injuries later on in the season. Just what didn't seem like he was the same player that he was early on when he was leading the team in scoring. And from that point on, I felt like Raekwon Gray was able to pick up some of that slack and be a reliable scorer for them. And, and we've seen it for FSU at times, too, throughout the course of the season. Uh, you've had guys, whether you talk about Anthony Polite or you got Scotty Barnes or, uh, you know, Malik Osborne, somebody picks up the slack and uh, steps up offensively. Maybe that's what he, his thinking was, that, you know, we have a bunch of guys that are able to step up offensively and take over the reins if we needed to. Unfortunately, uh, it just didn't happen in this game, and sometimes, you know, it just – it's just like that. You just get beat by a better, more talented team, and especially with a team like Michigan, as you said, that had a whole lot of time to prepare. Uh, unlike, you know, they didn't have a whole lot of time to prepare for UCLA at that game um, last night either. So Yeah, I mean, there was definitely a bit of watching that game. I didn't watch the entire thing. I watched probably about the last 10 minutes, and I saw a Michigan team that, Yes, they created open shots against Florida State, but they sure didn't miss many of them, and they sure look like they... And some of it's a credit to UCLA. They also have a pretty unique defense in terms of how physical they are. But, I mean, they they sure missed a lot of pretty open shots close to the basket against UCLA. I mean, I'm sure there were plenty of Florida State fans watching. Are you kidding me? They, they were like 19 of 23 or 18 of 23 on two-point shots in the second half against FSU. And here they're missing bunnies. I, there had to be a sense of, are you kidding me? Because, I mean, with Alabama going down, Florida State would have been favored in an Elite eight, 8 game with a chance to go to the Final Four. And yeah. I, so, yeah, that was, I'm sure, a bit frustrating to watch. A bit of, I mean, you've got to be kidding me. Yeah, for me, yeah. I, 
I was well, I was surprised Michigan. They ended up missing, I think, six shots to end the game. Um, and a lot of them bad. Those, some of those were just terrible decision shots too. I mean, yeah, he had an opportunity to tie the game up, and you go for a three. Um, I, I thought like, that just, I, I, you know, I don't have. I shaved my head, but if I had if I had hair, I, I would have pulled it out because <laughs> <laughs> I just think that. Yeah, I mean, just go for overtime at that point. I mean, yeah, there's no need to take the uh, low percentage shot there when you have an opportunity to take a higher percentage shot. Yeah, it just they, they made so many mental mistakes um, against UCLA that they didn't do against Florida State. So I, I agree. That's kind of probably the frustrating thing if you were an FSU fan watching that. They kind of crumbled. I mean, frankly, is I think a good way to say it. And I, I wonder how much of that you attribute to them not having a guy like Isaiah Livers, a four-year contributor for them out there. I mean, it'd be Florida State would probably go through some of the same if they lost an MJ Walker, but – Livers might even make a bigger impact just in terms of Michigan because they play less guys. But you, it makes you think that if Florida State had managed to keep that competitive, that that Michigan may have may have not handled the last few minutes well. I mean, they, the case can be made, and so I don't know. I mean, it's a, uh, it's not why they lost the game, but the the free throw discrepancy didn't help things for FSU. I think FSU only attempted six, and I don't remember exactly how many Michigan attempted, but it was it was many more than six. Yeah. So, I mean, it's again, that's not why. There are plenty of other factors. Florida State had some defensive struggles that Michigan exploited. I don't know if it was what FSU didn't do so much as what Michigan did do in its game plan and executing it. Michigan, I mean, had a response every time FSU tried to make a run. They got the right players in foul trouble. And so, I mean, I don't know. At the end of the day, what I kind of come back to with this team is I think they achieved about what they were supposed to. Obviously... So much of March Madness is about matchups, getting hot at the right time, as UCLA has, making runs, things of that sort. And, and sure, teams that don't shouldn't win games, that, that are like not as good, win. And that's part of what you love about March. But, I mean, this team, they won the two games they were supposed to. They lost the game they were supposed to. And I think that's about what they deserve. Yeah, I, I thought this. I thought they were about a Sweet 16 team. I, I said that early on in the season. I was like, I can see this team get to the Sweet 16. I mean, possibly beyond depending on matchups and things of that nature as well. Um, I think they lived up the expectations. It wasn't a bad season. I mean, no. you know, by any means necessary. I mean, any means, because you lose the amount of players that you did. You come back, you're still competing in the ACC. You finished second. Um, I know they were disappointed that they finished second, especially with the game against Notre Dame. Uh, you go out to the ACC, you know, ACC championship against Georgia Tech. You're still able to come back and possibly get a – Try to get a run, make a run at the Final Four. I mean, you fell short. I mean, you lost to the number one seed in your region. So yeah, I don't think it's no shame in that. I think it's they're right where they. I think a lot of people expected them to be, and I think next year will be interesting for them, especially with the. I know you wrote an article about um, people who you expect to come back or you don't expect to come back, and kind of ones that are on the bubble. So I guess we can talk about that too. Uh, just, uh, just who, who do you project uh, to come back and? what you won't see next back this year for FSU in basketball. I mean, there are some interesting ones. The two ones I think we assume are gone, and I think you could maybe even extend it to three. Scotty Barnes is likely to be a lotto, if not lotto, right outside the lotto pick. Doesn't really have a ton to gain from coming back. I mean, in terms of he couldn't – he could get a little more in terms of signing bonus, but not enough to probably warrant delaying that a year. I would expect him gone. I mean, MJ Walker could use that extra year eligibility, but, I mean, his senior day celebration – and just kind of, I mean, how he talked after that game speaks to that I think he's ready to kind of start that next phase after four years here. Raekwon Evans is an interesting one. I mean, obviously, 
he struggled down the stretch, especially offensively. He, uh, there, there could, you could stand to bring someone like him back for a leadership role and he could come back, but he was also honored on senior day. We'll see if he kind of chooses to, uh, use that, uh, that extra eligibility. That will be kind of the interesting thing to see because he could, he could also use that to transfer as a ton of people are. I mean, the transfer portal is kind of going crazy this year with the extra COVID year people are getting. The uh, the the other really interesting ones that I think are going to define not how good next year's team can be, but how highly they're ranked coming into the year. I think you're looking at Raekwon Gray and, and Balsa Koprovica. I mean, you can kind of what can you speak to about? I guess what I don't know entirely what my reads are. I don't know if you kind of have any thoughts on on those two, what they could stand to gain from coming back, and or maybe why they're ready. I'll start with Bosa because I think he should stay in school probably for another year. Agreed. Because um, I think he can get, gain some um, offense. Uh, he gained a lot by improving some of his offensive game. Um, I thought he's throughout um, this year. He certainly improved a whole lot. Uh, I know you can um, attest to that um, for what he was as a freshman. And just imagine, you know, if he can do the same thing coming back for his junior year. And I imagine his stock could go straight up and potentially be a first round pick. I think if he was to come out. Probably be a, if my guess would be a second round pick, maybe. Uh, but, you know, you're losing so much between the first and the second round pick. That, that's a big, a big difference for in terms of money and guarantees and all of that. So I think it'd be in the best interest for him to return to school. Now, Rayquan Gray is very interesting. Now, I, I think he could be a first round pick, just depending on um, the team. He's not going to be a lottery pick like Scotty Barnes, but, you know, a team that's, you know, a, a contender in the playoffs that. Uh, could use a guy like Raekwon Gray, maybe starting up coming out the bench too, um, with some of the things that he's done and his skill set. Yeah, I def- definitely think he could be a team that he- it could be a team that would take him in the lower first round. So, yeah, I think if he gets like a low first round grade, you might see him come out um, at that case. Because how much is he going to prove his stock next year by coming back? I don't know. Maybe not a lot. I don't think. I don't think he's going to be a lottery pick. Um, I'm not sure. I can't speak for you, but. I definitely think if he's a first-round grade, I think that he'll probably end up coming out. Yeah, I tend to agree. I mean, the interesting thing with Raekwon is, he's, I mean, he's a Richard Jr. He's been here four years. He's, I think he turns 22 over the summer. And obviously, in the NBA, more than probably any other sport, they kind of, they value that youth. Yeah. They want to, I mean, obviously, the one and done is a key thing. And so... There could be the case that he may just want to... I mean, he, he could be a guy who could easily make a summer league impression, land on a G League team, maybe play his way into some NBA playing time. I mean, he has an incredibly unique skill set, being as big as he is, as as both, I guess, in terms of, I mean, just he's a very non-traditional guy that can handle the point guard duty some, that can be a ball handler and, and do it pretty well. And he's made massive improvements over his, over his time at FSU, he graduates, I think, with his undergrad in May. So the okay. case, I mean, that's the interesting thing, having been here four years, is is it worth him starting on a grad degree that he may not be getting otherwise just to get another year at FSU? I know Monday morning, just probably about 12 hours after their loss, he had already tweeted, we'll be back. And given, that could easily be we in the FSU sense and not the him sense. I think he also later that day posted some pictures like with a heart emoji of some of the guys and one of him. So, I mean, I I, I don't off the top of my head know the, the deadline for him, but it'll be definitely an interesting one to track because if they're able to get him back, and I agree, if you were a first-round type guy, 
I think he's definitely gone. And even if he got a second round type grade, which I think is possible, yeah, then then it would be interesting for him. But I mean, it, you bring him back, and I think your ceiling changes significantly. I think Florida State would seem to be the clear ACC front runner, make it pick to win the ACC, which is kind of unbelievable. Like looking back at five years ago. And, I mean, could be a team that could be pushing the top 10 at the start of next year's polls, just in terms of all they're bringing back and all they're adding. Yeah, I think so, too. I mean, look I mean, who else? Look at the ACC landscape. I mean, you could pick Virginia, maybe. Um, outside of that, I mean, North Carolina has some issues, too. They got people transferring and uh, things of that nature, too, as well. Duke, kind of the same boat, too, as well. Um, Syracuse has a lot of people transferring. So, yeah, it's. I, I can't imagine uh, maybe uh, the other case than Virginia, um, anybody that you might pick above F, uh, FSU in terms of the ACC. That's it for me in terms of the national. I mean, the national landscape and uh, the teams in the nation. Yeah, I have to think they're right there with some of the other teams that's going to be there. Uh, I imagine Michigan is still be there too. Um, Gonzaga probably, even though I know Gonzaga will be one again if I had to bet. Yeah, that's what I'm guessing. Uh, Baylor will probably be in there in that midst too as well. So. Yeah, in, in Houston, I, I imagine Houston would be somewhere in there too as well. But yeah, I definitely think those would be the teams that I would look at. But yeah, they they definitely top ten worthy as far as I'm concerned. So I mean, yeah, we'll have to. Uh, it'll be worth keeping an eye on. I mean, it's the the storyline of the season. I mean, you look at what they're bringing in, and a guy like Caleb Mills. Speaking of Houston, I mean, he was picked as the the preseason AAC Player of the Year, and then guy I was dealing with some injury stuff earlier in the year. Decided to transfer closer to home. He's from North Carolina. He ends up at FSU, which, I mean, people can say, but that's, I mean, he's still not really close. He gets to go play in his home state a couple times a year yeah. at Florida State. And, I mean, he's a uh, a a pure scorer in the way that FSU kind of, especially when MJ Walker was clearly not 100% as the year went on, FSU needed that. FSU needed that player against Michigan, a guy who could just go get, get a score. And he is that guy, a guy like Matthew Cleveland is that guy. Jalen Worley will be interesting to see if he's the uh, starting point guard. I think he could fill those roles, and it kind of has the profile that, that backs that up coming in. I mean, it would be interesting if Florida State went with a, to start the year, a starting uh, true freshman point guard once again. I And then a guy like John Butler is a, a really well-regarded uh, four-star center who I think is also, he's coming in, he's closer to a balsa in terms of where he's coming at in terms of ability now not just potential compared to some of the bigs of FSU past and I mean if you factored in Caleb Mills they would have realistically the probably the number one recruiting class in the country for next year right now yeah and you add that to what they already have coming back on the roster that you think for sure uh whether you have Calhoun or uh, Malik Osborne too uh Nathaniel Jacks coming back too as well so yeah I, I definitely and like you say you get a boss of that too um assuming that happens yeah I I think they're going to be as good as anybody. Uh, it'd be real interesting to see uh, what the expectations are because we talked about it uh, off air a few days ago. That you know, they, to me, like I said, I think they have to be the favorites of the ACC. I, I I can't really see any other pick at least at the moment. But you know, you never know what happened with transfers because there's a ton of transfers that are out there, and we don't know what that landscape's going to be. But at least right now, it's, it's late March going into April. I think that they're, they're the team to beat at least going into next year. Yeah, which is a, it's a crazy thing to say. I mean, because I think we thought it last year, but it will be interesting to see, I mean, if, if the North Carolina media, which, and it's not to say that historically Duke, North Carolina, more recently Virginia, haven't kind of run the conference. But 
I mean, it, 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 I think I think it, it if if this year Florida State doesn't kind of get that preseason respect, and this year they were picked, I think third, so it's not like they were disrespected, but. If they don't kind of, I think that they look like right now that number one team, and if they don't get that kind of respect, I'm not sure what it's going to take. Yeah, I don't either. Like, I think, I think it's, a, I think it's still a stigma. I really do. I think it's still a stigma that uh, they're not from North Carolina. And every year, like, no matter how bad North Carolina, uh, well, in this case, do, but North Carolina as well, how bad a season they might have the year before, they're still picked top ten, top fifteen, and. Uh, yeah, it kind of boggles my mind too, as well. Especially after last year, I was like, eh, I, I can't really see this being the top fifteen team, especially with so many young players that are coming in. Even though I know they still had Garrison Brooks and, um, and some other guys too, as well. But yeah, I, I didn't, I didn't think that team was any close to being the top fifteen team. But you know, that's just how some people still look at North Carolina year in and year out. So it'll be interesting to see what how they look at them and also do too, as well, uh, coming off the season that they had. Yeah, I mean, obviously, uh, uh, sending Leonard Hamilton well wishes. He uh, was definitely dealing with some stuff there in the bubble with his uh, Achilles, which was definitely, I think, it was it, it was worse than he kind of originally told us. That he, I think, kind of downplayed it when he talked to us the morning after they got into the NCAA tournament bubble. But it kind of came to pass over the next couple of days that he uh, ruptured his Achilles, and I mean, that's something that could very well uh, require surgery and and come with come back of that. So obviously, I mean, he's a uh, He's a tough sob, yes. To to be playing through that and walking on that, no less. Not even using a scooter, but to be coaching, wearing a walking boot, and walking around much like he normally does. Yeah, especially at the age that he is. Um, yeah, I mean that's at any age. I think that that's um, impressive. But at his age to do that and still coaching, and especially at the high level, and you know that he was like that's. That's impressive, and then made made no excuses about it whatsoever. Yeah, you got to give your uh, you got to tip your hat to him. Yeah, I mean it's a it's a weird season. Next season, thankfully, seems like it's going to be normal the way things are trending right now, which is really promising. I mean, no no player is going to admit like, yes, I'm glad to be out of the bubble. Like they all wish they were still there, getting ready for a Final Four game on Saturday night. But deep down, there's I'm sure in a lot of them, and in all the people, not just players, but staff members, administrators people of that sort who helped make it possible by making the sacrifices they did in terms of the bubble, there's got to be a sense of relief of not having to live in that world anymore. Yeah, and especially with a team like, you talk about Michigan, Michigan was there before anybody because they were there for the Big Ten Championship. Yep. And then you know, having to stay to do that, do all of that, do the NCAA and all that. So, yeah, you talk about a team that's probably a little bit relieved that they end up having to go home. Yeah, I'm sure they're probably ahead of the list out of, out of anybody. Yeah, so we'll uh, we'll definitely keep abreast of any news on that front over the uh, over the next couple months. I'm I'm imagining there will be plenty of stuff. It seems like from what I'm seeing, Florida State may not even be done in the transfer portal. I think they're going to have another spot or two, depending on if they they lose anybody else off the team. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, how that is filled. To be sure. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So yeah, I mean, this team could be even better than you know we think when it comes when they um november tips off so yeah i'm i'm curious to see what what it all transpires in the next month or so because yes you're gonna start to hear some names coming out in the draft and things like especially if you get closer to the nba draft deadline yeah no doubt um we'll we can touch on some football uh well we're here it's uh i i i'll be i can admit i've tried to be on the zooms when i can but all the traveling i've done has meant that i haven't been able to uh watch a lot of the practices i know you were at both of the scrimmages for us so far they've had both of them been open to the public which means that we've gotten to go 
watch them. And, uh, I mean, so has, so has anybody who was in town and wanted to, and that's awesome. But there are definitely some, uh, some, shall we say negative consequences that kind of come with that level of access, Antoine. Yeah. Uh, the second scrimmage, I'll start with the second scrimmage cause that was the most recent one. Um, Definitely the defense won the day on that one. Uh, the offense definitely looked uh, a little sluggish, a lot of drop balls. Um, definitely the quarterbacks were didn't have rhythm with receivers, and the offensive line let a ton of pressure up too as well. So yeah, it was definitely um, when you have when you see when you, have, when you see that and you see what FSU was last year, and then you come out to a scrimmage and you kind of see the offensive struggle of this year, at least in the scrimmage, that I'm sure the fans, that did not necessarily give the fans um, a, a glimmer of hope <laughs> just seeing all of that. But, you know, it's still early in the process. But, yeah, um, I, I definitely think it is some good that came from the offense. I think the running backs have looked good, too, as well. Um, I think Jay Sean Corbin has been every bit as good as what uh, the coaches have said he's looked. Uh, I think they're very that's – the, that's still the deepest spot and probably their best – um, position as far as offense, um, maybe even deep, maybe all around on the team. So I think that's a good bright spot. Whoever's the starting quarterback, you're going to be able to rely on your running backs because I think they have a good stable of them. Still wide receivers, still um, you got a lot of young guys there that are still trying to find their way. And I think, and also you got a guy like Mackenzie Milton who's still also learning the offense and also getting used to you know learning these receivers as well. You know, you're trying to gain that chemistry. So I think that's still an issue too as well. I think I think if you're looking for a bright spot too, I think defensively they've looked a lot more better. Um, as you get a, last year, they went they were really one of the big things where they were not able to get pressure on the quarterback consistently. I think I've seen that throughout the course of practice. They've been able to do that on a regular basis. Now, is that because of Florida State's offensive line, or is it because this team has gotten better in that area? It might be a combination of both, but I think it's good. I think it's it's good that you're seeing that the players are getting some type of pressure on the quarterback, something that they didn't do a whole lot last year. And I think the secondary is playing a little bit better too as well. So, yeah, I think um, the defense, um, sometimes, you know, early on, especially in these spring practices, the defenses are ahead of the offense. In this case, in this case that's what it is right now. And, you know, I wouldn't be too concerned about it. Um, there's no games that are going to be played um, meaningful anytime soon. So, you know, you just have to hope the offense can really come around soon. Yeah, I I mean I I have heard and and read and seen similar from kind of what I've been able to gather. I think there's one more open practice. Uh, yeah, next before Thursday. yeah, I think it's next Thursday before the spring game on Saturday, and so I definitely am looking forward. Hope maybe we can both get out there and kind of share our thoughts well out there because that I think will definitely help. I, I'm with you. I mean, the thing is, I from what I heard, I mean, I, I don't think the offense dominated the first scrimmage. But no. I think the offense did much better in the first yes. scrimmage than in the second. Correct. And yes. that's kind of what Mike Norvell spoke to of, like, you want to see the back and forth in terms of both sides winning sometimes because if one side is dominating, it means that, A, whatever side of the ball that's always struggling is probably quite bad, and, B, you don't know exactly how good the, the side that's doing so well and dominating is because they're going against a side that you don't think is that good. Yeah. So I mean, I think I think I, that the fact that uh, the scrimmages have kind of been flip flopped in that way, I, it, it it makes the perception a little better. I mean, you talked about the defense. I mean, you really can't say enough about a guy like Jermaine Johnson and what he's done. I mean, early in his time here, I think he's been a a revelation. And I know a number of other guys have have really 
stood out. I know a guy like Derek McClendon has been praised a lot on the defensive line by by Mike Norvell for being a playmaker. I know Josh Farmer, he's kind of a tweener who's still kind of probably bulking up to be able to play that defensive tackle interior role they want him to play, but he's someone who I know has been spoken of very highly. I mean, I don't read too much into the offensive line struggles because I know a lot of them have come from the second team. And B, I know even their first team is somewhat banged up right now in terms of a number of guys they have out and then they lost a guy like Thomas Schrader to an injury in spring and so I mean they are they're down what two or three guys who would be contending for starting jobs and so that's not the line as it is now isn't the line they're hoping to have kind of there in September so I, I don't read too much into it but I mean it isn't great because you would hope that they they take a, a significant step next year bringing back everyone from a line that Took a, that that was noticeably better than the year before. Yeah, I, I think um, yeah, I think it's definitely some truth for that. Like you say, they're down three offensive linemen, so yeah, you're definitely not as concerned. But you definitely want to see improvement with the team too, as well, especially deep down throughout the course of the depth, because as you know, injuries are going to happen throughout the course of the season, uh, whether it happens to the offensive line or defensive line or whatever the case may be. So you have to hope that you have the players that that can step up and. Um, and do a good job in pass protection when needed. But, yeah, I think, like I said, I, I, I think it's going to turn around. Uh, I think, you know, you look at this, I think it's still early in the practices. I still think that these guys are, you know, sometimes, like I say, it's been times where the offensive line has performed, had a good day. It's been other times where not so much, too. It's gonna, It's been some back and forth, too, as well. I just think that defensively, They've been, they, from what I've seen during the practices that I've been, they stood out a little bit more than the offense and the offensive line in particular. But again, like I say, it's been it's been some back and forth too as well. And then I, I'm curious to see what we'll see during the spring game when really the combination of all of that, all the spring practices come about and um, we'll kind of wrap up the spring there. Yeah, spring game will be interesting. I mean, it's a, it's from what I've seen, it seems like it's going to be kind of like a not traditional. They're not just going to play a a four quarter game like like kind of Florida State has historically that I think it's going to be more segmented and working on situational things and stuff like that but I mean it'll be I don't know it'll, it'll be big and especially considering they didn't get that last year I mean they're going to get five times as many spring practices as they got last year and I don't think that can be over overstated they're not going to leave spring kind of the team they want to be come fall but uh, for for a significant amount of the roster, this is their first spring action, and so that's significant. I mean, you, you talked about the quarterbacks. I guess how would you evaluate? Are you seeing from what you've seen how much progress are, are you seeing from Mackenzie Milton? Is he maybe pushing more closer towards even with Jordan Travis now? And I guess where's Tate Rotomaker fit in there as well? Yeah, I, I would say so. I think um, at first Milton was starting a little bit slow as he was still trying to find the off, trying to find his way in the offense and learn the playbook. And I think as the practices have gone on, he's got a little bit more comfortable with the receivers and also the playbook. And I remember I saw him on Monday. He ended up scrambling for a big game too, which is really nice to see, especially coming off the injury that he suffered. He, like I say, um, health wise, he was fine. Uh, I, I wouldn't. There's no setbacks there or anything like that. It's just. You know, you come to a new team, you, like I say, you have to learn a whole bunch of different things there. And, yeah, it's just, you know, you come with new expectations and stuff like that. So, But, yeah, I think he's um, kind of the same 
neck and neck with Jordan Travis. Jordan Travis, he looks really good too, I think, at times too. I mean, he's had his days where he hasn't looked as good as Sharp either. But I def- I, what I'll say about him is I think he looks a lot more comfortable in the office than what he did a year ago. And also making a little bit more progressions uh, with the football. He's not just looking to run all the time like how he did last year uh, when, you know, sometimes some of that I think was kind of maybe the lack of confidence that he had in receivers and also maybe the lack of confidence that he had in himself. But, yeah, I definitely can see him having a lot, lot more confidence in the passing game, uh, at least in the spring so far, than what he did during the season. And Tate Rodemaker, he's, he's made some good throws. Like, he looks – like, I think last year um, during that game against Jacksonville State, that definitely uh, was kind of like a deer-in-the-headlights type of deal there. But, yeah, he looks a lot more comfortable, especially getting that – as you talked about players getting their first spring ball – there is something he looks a lot more comfortable uh, with the receivers and really himself too as well. So yeah, I, I definitely think um, he'll be he'll be an interesting prospect to watch down the line and watch his development. But yeah, you can definitely see him uh, looking a lot more confident than what he did a year ago. Yeah, I mean it's a it, it will be an interesting thing to see play out. It'll be interesting to see how the spring game works and and how uh, I mean those guys handle it and really how everything goes because I mean. I think fans kind of wanted to see the defense look better this spring after last year, after a defense that's probably among the worst in in modern Florida State football history. You, you I think they, you, they were pretty desperate to see improvement this spring, and I think you've seen that, be it with the transfers they've added on the defensive line. I know the secondary is a much more loaded competition now. I know Marcus Woodson, the defensive backs coach, talked candidly about a lot of his players last week when we uh, – when we talk to him, but I, I, I mean, at the same time, you don't want that to be an overcorrection. You don't want the defense to dominate the offense entirely, because then I would say you you worry about the offense. You worry if they have those playmakers at receiver. You worry I, I, how many guys they're going to trust at running back. Things like that. I mean, it's a, a it, it will be interesting to see. I mean, I feel like fair or not, there are going to be a lot of sweeping reactions to the spring game. Oh, you, you already know. I mean, we, we live in the world of hot takes uh, now. So, yeah, I'm sure no matter what you see, uh, whether the offense goes and just goes on the beret and scores a ton of points or whether the defense just stifles the offense, then I'm sure you'll see some hot takes there and people, you know, upset one way or the other. But, yeah, I think you definitely want to – I know Mike Morbell talked about this the other day. You like to see a good back and forth just simply because from a confidence standpoint, I think it's important to keep that morale, especially – when you don't want the defense to continue to dominate the offense because you want that offense to have confidence and chemistry as well that they can continue to get better and better and uh, making plays and they're getting better throughout the course of the spring too as well. So yeah, I think uh, what you want to see is a good back and forth. And some some of that sometimes you hadn't seen that the first scrimmage. I think you saw that you saw some good plays there too as well. Uh, Monday during the during the practice, I mean they they kind of took a little bit of light practice simply because coming off the scrimmage and. They wasn't in pads and shorts, but you know you can tell was, um, the offense was a little bit more comfortable there. There, but we'll see next time they get in pads and we're able to watch it. Um, whether it be uh, next Thursday at the spring game, I mean next Thursday at practice or the spring game on that following Saturday at the town. Yeah, it's it will be uh, it'll be interesting. We might uh, maybe we'll we'll do another one of these after Thursday before the spring game next week. Just kind of what we saw from that last practice, and then we'll definitely be touching on the spring game and. What comes out of that uh, next week? Uh, we'll uh, we'll have plenty of plenty of stuff coming up on here. We definitely have some cool uh, off season content type stuff. We're we're looking at doing here probably some 
NFL draft content. I'm sure some more interviews with uh, members of the coaching staff. We're grateful that they are as willing to kind of do stuff like that as they are. And we have plenty of uh, great content as well on uh, Tallahassee.com and NoLSports.com. And we'd encourage you to uh, read it there, to uh, subscribe to the paper, support local journalism, to uh, follow us on Twitter. I am at Kurt, C-U-R-T-M, Weiler. Antoine, you are at? Uh, Antoine Staley, A-N-T-W-A-N-S-T-A-L-E-Y on Twitter. Yeah, please follow us there uh, on the website. We appreciate all that. We uh, appreciate you for uh, listening to the podcast. I hope you subscribe or, or will after listening to this, and we hope you'll uh, join us next time.